This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. And happy early Mother's Day to all the moms out there. That is tomorrow. And of course, hopefully you've got all of your gifts and things ready. And it's a special day to honor not just moms, but just any woman that's special in your in your life, I think. But Justin, you guys actually have a cool event going on for people who may be looking for a last-minute gift. Yeah, we have something right now, actually, literally right now, going on <laughs> uh, in the middle of the show at our Capitol Hill location. We've got a Mother's Day pop-up, and we're featuring uh, great gift ideas, last-minute cocktail suggestions. Our team will help you build uh, an interesting cocktail and a cocktail kit to take home to share with uh, mom and the family tomorrow, and, and including mimosas, because we like to say you can't spill mimosa without mom. So beautiful way to <laughs> to celebrate uh, mom with a brunch with some mimosa, and, and maybe you put uh, some of our flavored vodkas in the mimosas and really spike it up a little bit. Yeah, well, speaking of which, too, we're also going to touch on there's another holiday coming up. Monday is National Cocktail Day. Uh, are you guys going to be, you know, honoring this fine holiday by drinking a cocktail of choice? Well, we have to. Of I mean, course. you know, we, 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 you have to stick with the holidays and stay true to tradition. <laughs> to honoring them. Yes, exactly. What would be, if you could have one cocktail for this day, what would be your go-to? Well, because the weather has been so fantastic and we think it's only going to get better, um, you know, it feels, it's been feeling a little bit like July almost here and it's still just early May. We've been messing around with, very simple lemonade-based cocktails because, you know, you don't want to do a lot of work, and especially if you're going to have folks together for picnics or barbecues, uh, it's much easier to make this stuff in batches. And so we've been experimenting with some of the different flavored vodkas with lemonades and then different uh, combinations of herbs and fruit as garnishes. So like uh, blueberry and thyme, as an example, or uh, raspberries with a little bit of rosemary in the vodka lemonade. Ooh, oh, like wow. it. Yeah. It's fancier than I get, but that sounds delicious. <laughs> I would be similar along those lines. Again, considering the weather, I've been really into gimlets lately. Oh, nice. And just, of course, pairing my favorite thing, which would be gin with some just fresh lime juice. It's like a great combination for, for when it's nice and sunny outside, kind of refreshing. Maura, do you have a fave? Uh, I always okay. forget about the gimlet because I yeah. do love those. And you can do gin or vodka. I, I would say most often what I've made at home, I've made old fashions at home or I do um, French 75. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. French 75. I couldn't remember no. one of our favorites. I've made French 75s at home too. Yeah. Those are kind of my go-tos, but I need to branch out a little more. You guys are making me feel like I need to get more creative, Catch especially for the summer. Bug. Yeah. Okay. If you want to, if you want to branch out in the gimlet, uh, muddle a little bit of fresh basil in the bottom first. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and make a basil gin gimlet. It's amazing. Especially I, if you got fresh basil at the house. I really like that. See, I like that because I'm usually fresh mint's a little too strong for me. So I'm not a mojito fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's like a different take on a mojito. So I like yeah. that a lot, Justin. 
giving yeah. us ideas. And stay tuned for the end of the episode. We'll have another great cocktail recipe for you to try at home as well. Right now, what's in the headlines? Well, folks in Mexico City are not very happy because a lawmaker has put forward a bill to make it illegal for shops to sell chilled beer. It has prompted a wave of outrage. And uh, in fact, people calling the idea quote-unquote stupid, which I think is probably a polite word that folks would use. It was proposed by the deputy leader of the National Regeneration Movement, whatever that is. It would ban shop owners from storing beer with ABAs of 7% or higher in a fridge. Now, she says this is to target the little shops that are called chillerias, which sell liters of beer in CV settings for low prices. They claim that alcohol is responsible for a significant proportion of disease in Mexico. They think it accounts for up to 6.5% of premature deaths. She stated that patterns of consumption are changing, leading younger people and women to consume alcohol more frequently. Now, the pushback comes because... Mexico this time of year is a hot place, and people don't want to drink warm beer. They want to drink chilled beer. Uh, this to us from the drinks business, I, I think a similar movement would happen here in Washington and Northwest if lawmakers tried to say no more chilled craft beer at your local tap room. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This seems like trying to uh, cover up a problem as opposed to addressing the root issues. And I did appreciate that there was even a, a Twitter hashtag that was trending, con las cervezas no, which means essentially don't mess with our beer. <laughs> I um, love that. That was trending on Twitter. And so, yeah, seems like this one probably won't make it through. Seems like there is too much dissension. It just doesn't seem like the most efficient way to go no. about Mm-mm. the end result that they want. No. No. Uh, Next up, again from the drinks business, two million bottles of wine and spirits were destroyed in a French warehouse fire. This was late April. Sixty firefighters were called out to help suppress the blaze at a warehouse. According to authorities, a ceiling had collapsed in part of the building, which contained around two million bottles of wine and spirits. Destroyed the bottles, otherwise rendered them unfit for sale. They say the fire appeared to have started in the ceiling, and then when everything fell and collapsed, it began to fall on the pallets and crates of alcohol below. A total of 80 employees were evacuated, no injuries. Uh, but this is, uh, that's a lot of money, 2 million bottles, 2 million bottles. Uh, you're talking about uh, upwards of, of a few hundred million dollars worth of product potentially and a major disruption in the supply chain for the brands represented in those uh, warehouses. Wow. Wow. And it notes in this article, too, that this came just a few days after the major fire, of course, at Notre Dame in in Paris, and that a lot of the wine industry had already sort of pledged money, pledged product to support the restoration and recovery process from that, which, wow, yeah, it's now they're being hit hard by a, obviously the two aren't quite comparable because one is absolute history, but still being hit hard by a fire just a few days after. And uh, lastly, in the news, uh, also from the spirits business, a distillery in Highland, Scotland, called Nicknean, is hoping to entice more women into the whiskey business by offering two week-long, all-expense-paid internships. That sounds amazing. Uh, they hope to break down the gender stereotypes in the whiskey world through whiskeyed away internships. They want women to realize the opportunities that exist in all areas of whiskey production. Successful applicants will have a chance to explore all aspects of production of whiskey, including mashing, distilling, maturation, and making cocktails. Yeah, really cool. Really cool to see that this industry evolving and being an equal opportunity. 
Yeah, breaking the stigmas. I know even when I was bartending, there was an older regular that we had, a gentleman that would not let me serve him because he did not think that a woman should be behind the bar. So uh, there are, especially, you know, in industries as old as um, the the whiskey industry, far as some of these bigger distillers, there are some stigmas in place. So I'm glad to see that those are being broken down a little bit. Change those. Well, there's only three qualifications. One, you got to be a woman. Two, you got to be 18 or older. And three, you got to be free from July 14th to July 20th. I mean, that's that's a pretty easy threshold to overcome. Absolutely. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, now that the weather is turning nicer, maybe your drinks will involve a little bit more rum. That just seems to happen. Warm weather, drinks with rum in them, maybe a few umbrellas. But we've got a few myths about rum that you just shouldn't believe. It's next on Cast Club Radio. back to Cast Club Radio. You know, it's never fun to be misunderstood. And rum might be one of the more widely misunderstood spirits, at least according to a new article from Britain Co. Justin, can you take us through this? Yeah. So uh, five rum myths that you shouldn't believe. That's the title of the article from Macy Daniela Martin. She opens this up by saying, associated with boozy beach parties and tropical fruit punches, rum is often and unnecessarily reserved for vacations only. Some other rum myths that are floating out there are that it is cheap, it's sweet, and so on. Well, she says, don't believe the rumors. It's time you know the truth. She interviewed Ashella Richardson, brand ambassador for Nicaraguan rum brand called Florida Canna, which is an excellent rum brand. Ashella is also an expert mixologist, and they dive into five common myths surrounding rum. The first one is rum is not distilled like whiskey or tequila. Myth number one. And uh, what well, you they know talk a little about bit here, about this because you distill yeah. or you make rum in Oregon. We make rum in Oregon. Yeah, we yeah. make rum at our distillery in Eugene. She says here that when we learn about how alcohol comes to be, we talk about fermentation, you need a sugar source and you ferment that sugar source with yeast and heat. The reaction produces alcohol, some CO2, some other things that are unique in the flavor development of the particular fermentation type. It's true that uh, we go through the same distillation processes with rum, but we use a different processes in the front end because uh, at least in our case, we're using molasses uh, instead of sugarcane juice. We use sugarcane molasses to make our rums in Oregon. Uh, whereas with whiskey, you've got to actually cook or mash the grain, break down the starches and the sugars. And with a tequila, you're using agave. You've got to roast the agave. In our case for rum, it already is sugar. And in fact, the, the molasses and, and uh, sugar cane uh, juice that some folks use is so high in sugar content, we actually have to add water to drop the bricks level. If uh, we didn't do that, there'd be too much sugar and the yeast couldn't survive. So we really are starting with, with either cane juice or with uh, molasses. And uh, based on the kind of molasses you use and the type of yeast you use, uh, it'll give you different flavor profiles coming off the still. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, we actually at our facility in Eugene, we experimented with a, uh, up to 40 different uh, types of molasses and yeast combinations and strains under different conditions to develop uh, different flavor profiles. And we tested them and did taste tests and came out with uh, two products that uh, we're very excited about. Next up on the list, <clears throat> myth number two, all rum is sweet. After distillation, all that remains is alcohol. That's true. We're bringing ethanol off the still. You don't have any of the sugar or sweetness left over. You're just concentrating on all the alcohols. Now, the issue here is spirits come off the still 
If they're coming off the still at above 100 proof, which is typically how quite a bit of the rum comes off these days, the way your tongue works is it picks up on the ethanol portion as a sweet body of itself. And so even though there's no sugar coming off the still, it's just rum ethanol, the high proof is what tells you that it's sweet or gives your your palate the idea that it's sweet. That's what I was kind of picturing. I was thinking people that think rum is sweet are probably more like they've only drank like Malibu rum or yeah. Captain Morgan yeah. spiced rum or something. Myers dark it, rum. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they think that. But yeah, I, that ethanol note on the tongue, that makes sense that that might be what some of what people are translating as well. Yeah. And that leads us into myth number three, that all rum is the same. Now, some rum has color because of added flavors. Some rum is uh, colored because of time spent in the barrel based on the length of time, aging conditions, and type of barrel that was used. Uh, It generally takes place in former bourbon barrels or sherry casks. That helps to enrich the color and the flavor. There is a misconception about aged rums in particular. That is that they're going to be sweet like your flavored or spiced rums. That's not always the case, really purely aged rum that has no other additives in it uh, other than being uh, set in the barrel for some length of time it's going to pick up natural sweet notes from the wood but it's also going to pick up the other notes from the wood that you would expect a good whiskey or cognac to pick up so again the author here is saying that the flavored and spiced rums that you're seeing out there are really the result of other additives put in after the fact and in some cases caramel color which is used to darken the rum uh, because it either has not been aged or not been aged for very long yeah, I feel like rum never seems to quite get the same credit as as like a whiskey or a scotch or something like that as far as, as like you mentioned, aging or quality. Uh, they just all get grouped together, and there are some really quality rums. There are. In fact, uh, she talks here in the article about substituting whiskey in your favorite whiskey type of cocktail and using rum instead. And for folks that uh, believe they've got a grain allergy or they have uh, some type of reaction if they have a grain-based whiskey, but they really like the idea of having an old-fashioned, a Manhattan, something like that, like a very classic cocktail, get a very good aged rum. She recommends uh, Florida Canna's The Seven Year Aged. Uh, and put it in the whiskey cocktail, minus the whiskey, and uh, you're going to taste some really interesting flavor profiles and enjoy that classic cocktail with a twist. Next up on the list of five is number four, and uh, that is the myth that says rum has to come from the Caribbean. Well, that's not true. Rum can be made anywhere in the world. They associate it with the Caribbean because of the history, and they associate it with the Caribbean because of uh, how we view consumption of rum these days on the beach and uh, in that kind of environment. But uh, <laughs> the only rule is that, yep, Mai Tais, the only rule is that rum has to come from some sugarcane derivatives, either cane sugar, cane juice from the pressings, or cane molasses, as we talked about earlier. When you taste different kinds of rums, you can take taste different parts of the world, and that's largely due to the type of process, uh, type of the raw ingredients that goes in. Uh, in the case of sugar cane juice, when it comes off of the cane pressing, it will ferment on its own very quickly. And so we're up here in the Northwest. Uh, if we want to order cane products from, let's say, the Caribbean, it takes weeks to get it shipped up here. And if we ordered totes or tanks of cane juice, it would be bulging because the fermentation would be going on by the time it arrived here. So we don't deal with that in the Northwest. We mostly deal with molasses that is derived from sugarcane. I bet this is one that if you actually quizzed 10 random people, 100 random people, that you would actually get a lot of people thinking this this is a pretty common misconception, that rum is all made in the Caribbean. So... Yeah, uh, important to know that it's made 
all over the world, including uh, in Oregon by you guys. That's right. And there are a number of uh, distilleries here in Washington and other parts of the country making rum uh, all the way up uh, into Massachusetts. I've got a good buddy who's got a very good brand of rum up there. In fact, I was joking with him last year that he needs to, uh, in Boston, go replicate uh, the Boston Tea Party by uh, calling everyone around to bring in their old mass-produced rum and uh, have a Boston rum party. And he'll swap out (laughs) bottles of his craft rum with their bottles of uh, mass-produced rum. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Last up on the list, this uh, myth is that rum daiquiris are strawberry flavored and blended. Uh, She says, unlike the boozy strawberry frozen version, you might actually enjoy beachside on vacation. A regular daiquiri is a classic cocktail that is neither made with strawberries nor is a blended. It's made with two ounces of rum and equal parts of lime juice and simple syrup. That's the original daiquiri. It's arguably the simplest rum cocktail, and if you like quality rum, it's the best drink you'll have because the quality rum, the flavor will come through. It's up to you to figure out what kind of rum do you like, and there are multiple rums out there. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know until I moved here and started working at more of a craft cocktail place that a daiquiri wasn't the frozen strawberry thing that I was used to seeing. <laughs> I, I think it I think it did kind of the the older version as craft cocktails but got more popular kind of made a resurgence whereas like the fruity frozen version had kind of taken over. And um now there's also a a take on the old school daiquiri, the the Hemingway daiquiri, how he liked it was with a little bit of uh Luxardo maraschino liqueur and oh, a little yeah. bit of grapefruit mm-hmm. juice. Ooh. Mm. That sounds interesting. Also, the grapefruit juice would balance the lime juice instead of lime because it provides that acidity. Well, there you have it. That's the five rum myths that you should not buy into. And I I wouldn't say that I had any dispelled for me personally today, but I do see these as pretty common. And uh, there's probably times in my past, as you mentioned, Maura, with the daiquiri situation where I believed uh, one or more of these. So we'll provide a link for this online yeah. uh, at heritagedistilling.com where you could uh, check it out along with all the other uh, great material that we talk about on the show. Up next on Cast Club Radio, though, we are going to talk to you about a great event from rum to whiskey. We're going to talk to David Carson, the lead organizer of Seattle World Whiskey Day, an event that Heritage Distilling is going to be part of. Uh, you don't want to miss out on it. It's a party for a purpose. It's next on Costco Radio. Radio right now we are joined by David Carson, the lead organizer of Seattle World Whiskey Day, and it's the second annual this year. Was a big success last year, and Heritage Distilling actually going to be part of it. David, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. For people who didn't get to experience it last year, what is Seattle World Whiskey Day all about? Well, it's it's about sampling craft whiskeys. Um, and I can't think of a better thing to do in a, in a uh, you know, on a nice day in a park. Um, so um, May 18th is the date for the for the event. It's always the third Saturday in May. Um, some guys in the UK decided to make up this kind of pseudo holiday called World Whiskey Day to celebrate whiskey, and uh, so we we put it on that same day. So there are events around the world that uh, kind of pay homage to whiskey. Um, on on the third Saturday in May. David, how many uh, distilleries are going to be there this year? 
Well, we're looking to have about 20 so far, um, and we've had a couple of them join kind of right at the uh, at the last minute. So we're we're still working on getting all the paperwork in. So the final number will be somewhere in the, in the range of 20. We had a dozen last year, and it it certainly was uh, enough to uh, to give everybody a, a good sample of what's out there. But um, you know, I really want this to become over time the the biggest craft whiskey show in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a really good response from people in this area? I know, again, maybe uh, whiskey not traditionally associated with the Pacific Northwest, but it does seem like the rise of both craft breweries and craft spirits have uh, really taken to this area. So have you seen a great response from the community? Oh, definitely. It, it's one of those things that I, I think the more people realize the kind of products that um, that you guys are, I mean, you, you know, Heritage and, and so many others are putting out. It's it, it's really mind-boggling how good we've become in such a short amount of time since uh, the, the laws changed uh, for, for distilleries. It, it's, I mean, they're, we're making some amazing bourbons. Um, and my, my favorite happens at the moment kind of happens to be rye. So uh, in Oregon and, and Washington, we're doing some incredible ryes. Obviously, we have the, the grains. We grow the grains in in Washington and Oregon. So, and it's 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 really a matter of taking that and and just obviously distilling it down and 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 making some. I mean, it, I I don't know what it what it takes to make what you know they make, uh, but it's fantastic. The the level of quality has has risen very quickly. And you're you're just seeing an explosion there, and I'd much rather drink a local whiskey than you know. I mean, uh, yeah, you know what something might taste like, so but, but why not uh, try something that you've never had before? Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you're seeing or you you believe that is unique to this area in terms of what's being created? Uh, I well, I I think just the quality and mm-hmm. it, it's. Uh, to me, it's it's surprising how how good it's gotten so quickly, I, and I don't know I don't know what the reason for that is, but it it seems like we've we've risen very quickly to to a, a level that I I was kind of surprised about myself as someone who really enjoys whiskey. I you know like I said I'd much rather you know drink a, a two bar or a Westland or a Heritage than than something that you know is mass produced and. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, love does go, come into the picture here, the love for making the spirit. So that's what I think is really uh, a big deal in, in the Northwest. So obviously, when people come to this event, they can expect high quality whiskey, that's for sure. But for those who have never been, what is the actual day like? What can they expect? Well, so this year, uh, I mean, last year was kind of low key. We were, we were basically just trying to break even and make sure that it was uh, a, a festival we could put on year after year, and we did that last year. It was, uh, it was modestly successful. This year, we're we're obviously you know doubling up on the number of distilleries. We've got a much bigger venue this time. It's going to be in the downtown park in downtown Redmond, uh, which is a brand new facility that uh, just got finished in September of last year. Uh, so there's a big grassy area that all the distillery tents will be on, and then uh, we'll have some other vendors outside of the the 21 and over area. Uh, we'll also have music going on in the. We've got a band shell there, 
um, that uh, we'll be doing some live music. Um, and there's the splash pad for the kids. So you can actually sit there. Uh, we'll, we'll also have food, obviously. And you can sit there, listen to music. There'll be some chairs on the inside, some on the outside. So you'll be able to, uh, you know, sit there and, and try some samples while listening to music and have food. So it's, it's, it's a much bigger event than last year because of the number of distilleries has just jumped up so much. And, and we, we've actually seen ticket sales, you know, really dramatically ahead of last year. So, which is very exciting for us, of course. Yeah, that's great. And for those people who might be hearing this and thinking that it sounds exciting, but they're not that into whiskey, there's also plenty of options for them as well, right? Correct. Yeah, we actually will, are going to have um, t- every distillery can bring up to two non-whiskey spirits. Um, and some are going to do some, some cocktails uh, with with their, you know, whatever spirits. Uh, so there'll be some, some options there. We also have participation from four uh, breweries, three in Redmond. So we've got uh, Black Raven, Postdoc, and Big Block are going to uh, going to bring a bourbon barrel aged something. So there'll be some some diff- different options there, kind of a palate cleanser, I guess. Which is what we did last year. We had we had two last year, and they they went over well. And then we're going to have an IPA from from Rogue Brewing. So. That'll be that'll be interesting, and of course they have a, a location in Issaquah, so uh, they we, uh, they have their tap house out there. So that that so you know definitely there's something for everybody. We're gonna you'll you'll get ten tastes, uh, ten tickets for for samples. And I had a, I have a friend who who came to the event last year, and and we only did nine last year because we were kind of concerned about over service. And he said, you know, he thought it was not not very many until he got to about his sixth one. And he's like, yeah, this is plenty. (laughs) Well, 10 10 this year sounds like you can get a pretty, pretty great sampling of of all of this stuff. And we can't get out of here without also mentioning the great cause that this benefits. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it, it, the organization is called Havens Community Connections, havenscc.org. And uh, what we do is uh, it's a domestic violence prevention nonprofit. Uh, we help women build a life raft out of domestic violence. You need, you need the tools to be able to get out of a situation where um, you're, you're being violated. So that's, you know, and we have a coaching program that helps them to do that. And uh, that's that's what it's about. That's why we why we put on the event, and so it is kind of a um, you know party with a purpose. But um, it is it, you know we really want it to be about the spirits and um, you know the cause. Those are the two main things to me. Um, that really uh, you know I'm I'm a big whiskey fan and and uh, really enjoy um, just the the amazing flavor that we, we're creating here in the Northwest. So, but it's great that it, it benefits uh, such a worthy nonprofit. If people want to learn more, where do they go? They go to SeattleWorldWhiskeyDay.com, um, and if they need information, uh, otherwise you can email uh, me at uh, SeattleWorldWhiskeyDay at Outlook.com. Perfect. And, and how much are tickets to get in? Uh, tickets right now are thirty-five until uh, a week out, and then they go up to forty, and there'll be forty at the door. So, and they get a souvenir glass and a T-shirt um, of their appropriate size. 
So we'll, uh, should be should be great. I mean, we got we had a great weather day last year, and it's on Mount St. Helens Day this year. So, you know, I'm sure it'll it'll be great. Well, it sounds wonderful, David. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about this uh, party with a purpose. I really like that. So Saturday, May 18th, we'll make sure people go online and check out uh, check out more information as well as getting their tickets because they don't want to miss out on this. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Coming up next, it's World Cocktail Day on Monday, and in honor of that, we're going to take a look at the top 10 most ordered cocktails in bars all around the world. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. In just a few minutes, we've got a brand new cocktail recipe for you. Maybe you want to make it for World Cocktail Day, which is on Monday. Great way to celebrate. In the meantime, we also thought we'd just go through a list of the most popular cocktails, the best-selling cocktails in the world in 2019. Now, I know we're not all the way through the year yet, but still, this is a good representation of what cocktails are the most popular world why this comes from msn.com but also in uh, conjunction with business insider and they took into account uh, not just the 10 but the 50 best selling cocktails in the world so really did their research uh, had bartenders from 127 of the best bars in 38 countries uh, to come up with this list so we'll start you off and maybe one of these will speak to you for world cocktail day mm-hmm. but number 10 on this list is the moscow mule mm-hmm. i agree yeah not surprising, I think in the last three years with the explosion of Tito's vodka, they were really pushing the yeah. resurgence of the Moscow Mule. And you go to a lot of restaurants and bars and you see the copper mugs with Tito's brand on it. And I think I think that brand uh, is partly responsible for the reemergence of the Moscow Mule. They really did an expert job. And now, yeah, it's one of the more trendy things. I remember bars were having a problem with people stealing these cups for a long yeah period of time and couldn't even make them in these cups for a while because people were sticking them in their purse and taking them home or their bags. So, uh, yeah, definitely see this as a popular one. That's right. Number nine on the list is the Aperol Spritz. If you go to Europe anywhere, especially in uh, places like Italy, you're going to see Aperol Spritzes all over the place. Campari, which owns uh, the Aperol brand, which is the orange herbal liqueur to make the Aperol Spritz, they've done an excellent job of marketing that cocktail specifically, and it's gaining popularity here in the U.S. It's very light, refreshing, and especially as we go into summer months, it's going to be more popular. This says, though, that it's the first time uh, the Aperol Spritz has made it into the top 10 on this list, which is pretty impressive. So, I mean, it's been a cocktail since the 50s, but kind of impressive that now what's yeah. old is new again. I don't know if it's a hipster movement or what. <laughs> I've definitely been hearing it more even on TV shows and everything yeah. lately. I think some people like that it is a lower alcohol option. You just have the Prosecco and then Aperol I think has even less alcohol than Campari. So it's it's not only nice and light and refreshing as a drink, but it's also not full not of alcohol. heavy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the marketing. They, they really have focused on it since 2012 on marketing that brand and relaunching it uh, and Campari has done a very good job with that product. So two of the bubble cocktails on our list today, 10 and 9, both great at marketing and branding themselves. Number eight is just a simple classic and that would be the margarita. 
Never goes out yeah. of style. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What, what else can you say, especially when you've got uh, holidays like Cinco de Mayo and others to help really push it in the American culture? Uh, not surprising it's on the list in top 10. Absolutely. Um, a couple of martinis coming in at seven and six on this list. This one's a little bit of a surprise to me, actually. Number seven is the espresso martini. I was shocked to see this on here. That's such yeah. a uh, uh, specialty type thing that to be number seven um, most ordered cocktail. Really, I'm kind of stunned by that. Yeah, I kind of thought it was uh, a little bit of a trend. I remember making espresso martinis even back uh, when I bartended in Colorado, and we were a little bit behind everything out here. So I really thought it would phase out. I'm surprised to see that they're still so popular. Not only that, but apparently has moved up two spots on this list. So proving that it's got a little bit of staying power, at least. Number six, the dry martini. More of a classic here, finding itself. It's down two spots from the same list a year ago, but still not too big of a shocker that this is in the top ten, right? No. It's yeah, nice. and interesting. Interestingly, don't uh, differentiate between gin or vodka martini. They do refer to it as the dry martini. Mm, they just lump them all in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Another classic at number five that would be the Manhattan. I yes. love it. One of my go-to's. Simple, timeless. They say that, yep, simple, timeless. And they say that uh, it was named by forty percent of the bartenders' questions, which makes sense. I'm just shocked that it's not higher in the list of the top ten. Wow, yeah. Wow. Number four is actually a cocktail that was mentioned earlier in the show when we were discussing rum. And uh, Maura, you brought a great perspective on this, but the the daiquiri making a, a name for itself here. Yeah, well, you mentioned earlier in the show how much you like gimlets, and I was looking at the recipe yeah. thinking it's, it's kind of similar to uh, a gimlet. So just interesting how sometimes these little very small variations yeah make a drink a a completely different just that type of liquor right just you're using rum as opposed to gin or vodka but really yeah you're right a lot of the same ingredients there uh number three on the list the whiskey sour very classic cocktail i have not been seeing that pop up in the last four or five years so uh it's good to see this back on the list again at number three number two is the negroni a cocktail that we have talked about in in the past and it says in second place for five years in a row now so really hasn't hasn't much moved people love their negronis the negronis one that i've never gotten you have to have a bitter palate yeah but people love it and well again gets back gets back to the branding it's a campari product uh you have to use campari to make a good negroni and for four years they've been having national negroni day and uh, between number two here and number nine, the Aperol Spritz, Campari is the only one on the list to have uh, two slots in the top ten that requires their products and their products only. Nice. Pretty darn impressive. Well, number one should really shock just about, well, number one shouldn't shock anybody. It is the old-fashioned. I love it. Remains the champion <laughs> atop yep. this list for the fifth year in a row as the most popular cocktail in the world. It helps that there's so there's many variations old fashioned now, about too. an old-fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> right. So many places are offering it with different bitters, different flavored whiskeys, different... Dane mentioned doing it with gin last week. Wow, yeah. So there's a lot of different options. So there's to ways to uh, adapt it, and, and the people who are in their tried-and-true classic can stick with that. The people who want to take a little more adventure, uh, they can as well. So that is the top 10 cocktails worldwide. Maybe you'll be choosing to celebrate World Cocktail Day on Monday with one of these. But if not, we've also got a great new cocktail recipe for you you to try. 
That's right. We call this the Caribeño, and nice. it requires two ounces of our new Commander's Silver Rum. We're making this in Eugene, Oregon. The Commander's Silver Rum is a mix of three different types of molasses uh, that we ferment and uh, distill uh, and blend, and uh, it's all made in-house, and it's a tremendous sipping rum. Uh, so two ounces of that rum. We add four ounces of coconut water. A quarter ounce of lime juice and a quarter ounce of simple syrup. Pretty easy. Put it in the shaker with ice, strain it into a highball glass filled with ice. And just kind of like the uh, mint juleps we talked about last week for the Kentucky Derby, to get the really small ice, it really provides a different texture to this drink. Garnish it with a fresh lime wedge. Amazing. Well, again, this available at heritagedistilling.com where you've got plenty of things that you can check out, including I was looking on your website the other day, Game of Thrones inspired cocktails. You've got it all up there. So make sure that you head to heritagedistilling.com to check out this cocktail recipe along with several others where you can also download episodes of Cast Club Radio. That's right. And don't forget Mother's Day is tomorrow. So we've got uh, six distilleries and tasting rooms around the Northwest for you to stop in and pick up uh, products and gift ideas for moms. And also you'll find many of our products at retailers and bars around the area. Uh, You can go to Cast Club Radio at heritagedistilling.com to send us an email with questions or ideas. And as always, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at heritagedistilling.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. I'm just going to say right now, I think the Cast Club membership would make a great gift uh, for mom. That would be one to think about, I think. We have lots of moms and daughters that get Cast Clubs together, and they're aging cocktails in the barrels, like uh, aging Old Fashions and Manhattans and, and uh, aging different gins and things. And it, it, it's a great nice. mother-daughter bonding experience. I love it. It sounds good. Check out more at HeritageDistilling.com, and we will see you back here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.